0: Welcome to the Faith Today Podcast. I'm Bill Fladares.
1: And I'm Karen Stiller. And I am very interested to hear this interview that Bill did because I am a Nova Scotia girl. Bill, this is an Atlantic Canadian kind of piece, right?
0: You got it. I talked to Anna Robbins, who is president of Acadia Divinity College, about something that they call East Coast Theology. It's kind of an initiative that they're doing where they are intentionally thinking about the place that they're in and all the contextual things that surround who they are as an institution, as a group of people, and then trying to emphasize that as opposed to, like my question for her was, you know, aren't you trying to attract as many people as possible to your seminary? So don't you wanna try to be everything to everybody? And she said, no, (laughs) we will try to be ourselves as much as we can, because we believe that God can work through each of us in all these different places. We have something special to bring as Atlantic Canadians. So it was a great conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it.
1: Cool. Okay. I want to ask you a question, and I honestly don't know the answer to this, so it's a little dangerous, but have you been out east? Have you traveled out east?
0: Not to Nova Scotia. I've been to New Brunswick (gasps) quite a few times, (laughs) so second best, maybe I'll... Uh, But that will have to come. So, uh, yes, I was imagining Fredericton where I've been a number of times and the beautiful area and the Miramichi Valley that you drive through on the way there. So, so, But that's about as far as I got.
1: Yeah, okay. So your mission then, after learning about East Coast theology, is to visit the East Coast. Do you promise me? Yes, I have to go to Halifax someday. Yeah, amen.
0: On the Faith Today podcast today, our guest is Anna Robbins, President of Acadia Divinity College and Dean of Theology at Acadia University. Welcome, Anna. We're glad you're here.
1: Thanks. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: I have a bunch of questions that I'm dying to ask you, so let me jump right in. I'm thinking about the school that you work at at Acadia. It's a seminary in a specific place, namely Nova Scotia and it's related to a specific part of the Canadian church, namely the Canadian Baptists of Atlantic Canada. So the part of your website that talks about vision actually highlights these distinctives rather than downplaying them. And I was wondering, is this kind of an unusual approach for a seminary? I think you'd be trying to attract as many students as possible, right? What do you think about your strategy there?
1: Oh, we absolutely are trying to attract as many students as possible but there's, I think, value in recognizing who you are and what you offer that is unique. But it's also a fresh take for us because I think we're coming into a time in our school where we recognize that we have something to say, actually. And there have been times, of course, in times past when a lot of schools, particularly evangelical schools, I would say, would access kind of all the same materials, speak the same kind of lines. And I think there's been a recognition and a realization that God speaks in all places in all times. If Jesus is truly present here in this place and time, then he speaks here in this place and time. So we're kind of interested in in our own context and what Jesus might be saying to us, but also through us to the wider church. So it's not just about being Baptist, it's not just about being Nova Scotian or Atlantic Canadian, but it's about how do we see the world uniquely here that might actually contribute something to our own understanding of who God is and how he works here, but also might be something that would be of use to the wider church. So Again, historically, we would be drawing on so many resources. We do draw on resources. We want to draw on the best resources available from a diverse voice, but at the same time recognizing that actually we are at a unique point in time as a school, and we are pulling together as a team in some really unique ways. We're wanting to work in community on some of the same themes, and we're finding that perhaps some of these things are unique And unique, not in a sense that is restrictive or narrowing, but opens up what God might be saying to the church in Canada from the East Coast. And maybe that is fresh, uh, if it's not new.
0: To me, that's kind of exciting. I think, obviously, you have students from all kinds of denominations that are attending your schools. But I think teaching from that and thinking from that perspective of what can we contribute based on who we are— To me, that's exciting, I think, as opposed to a generic thing of let's downplay all those specificities because we want to, you know, we want to get as many people as possible. I know that you taught in the UK for a while at a different seminary. I suppose there are specifics to that institution as well that they would draw on. So I guess I wonder, is this a strategy that you think every seminary should take or is it,
1: I guess it depends on what context you're working from, I suppose, right? Well, it does. And there there are a couple of particular things. I mean, one is, I don't think it's just a strategy. I mean, this is actually an expression of who we see ourselves to be. This is who we think we are. And we think it's time that we understood that better for ourselves. And maybe it's time that we took that really seriously in terms of our own theological work together. So both in terms of how we research, how we write, how we teach how we speak to the churches, and so on. And we have a close relationship with the churches. So the churches understood this right away when we started articulating it, even though we're still working into what it means. It's going to take some time. But I think that every place has a context. If we think we don't, we're deceiving ourselves, and we've not probably wrestled on the East Coast with the significance of our context in some particular ways. So it's less a strategy and more an expression, I would say, of who we are and who we think we're becoming and how, I mean, what better way to learn more about God than to see how God is working differently in different regions of our own country? And if we want the biggest vision of God possible, then we need to be able to listen to the voices from across the country. You made mention of my time in London, and I was in London on the faculty of the London School of Theology for 12 years. And there is a, an urban sense where you don't have to lay claim to any specific location. Right. You're in London, everybody listens, you know, or, or, and if you're not listening, you'd better. And if I may say, sometimes we get that sense in the East Coast from some of our larger urban places in Canada as if, you know, Down East, aren't you so quaint, but the real stuff is being done in elsewhere. And I think people have come to recognize that actually there's a uniqueness to Atlantic Canada that is of benefit to the rest of the country. And it's not a narrow voice at all. I look at our own faculty and we're increasingly a diverse group from different Mm -hmm. uh, backgrounds, different countries, but we assemble here in this place where our geography is unique, our history is unique. We have to wrestle with what it means to be, you know, settler people, generations of settler people and new settler people working together with people who have been on this land for thousands and thousands of years uh, in Mi'kma'ki, a land where Acadians were expelled, a land where people of African descent have been here since the time of the loyalists. So we sometimes have just brushed over all of these unique qualities of what it means to live here as if they're not really important, but they really are important. And if they haven't shaped us, then we need to at least reckon with why they haven't and sh- how should they shape us going forward. To me, that's really
0: exciting. I went, when I did an undergraduate degree, I studied at Redeemer University in Hamilton. And the big emphasis there was on a certain theological tradition. But I didn't feel like I had a sense of, Hamilton <laughs> being part of, you know, I'm studying here in this place in this time, you know, close to the Six Nations Reserve, close to steel industries, all those things are part of this community as well, right? So anyways, I'm, I'm excited about that, that you're doing that there. And I do think it matches with indigenization of curriculum and stuff like that too, right? Like let's acknowledge our history, like you you mentioned, and work with that instead of just ignoring it.
1: And and this has been a huge thing for us, I would say, in our partnership with Nate's and Indigenous Learning Community. We've been in partnership with them for almost a decade, and that's been really influential to us in, in reckoning what it means to be on the land, to have a real consideration of place and how that shapes who we are and how we think. And you don't have to have grown up here for that to be real, because newcomers and people who have been here for generations, we all have to reckon with what it is to be in this place in this time. For me, the exciting thing is it recognizes that theology isn't some dead discipline, but that it's about reflecting on the life of Jesus and that Jesus is alive today and now. And, you know, I can look out from my office as I'm speaking with you here, and, and my view casts me across the Minus Basin, which is part of the Bay of Fundy, across to Cape Blomden and, and this is a place of rich history, of all these things, and so how can I sit here in this office and teach theology and think theologically without reckoning what it means to actually be sitting here in a place where Jesus is active and alive, has been forever, and continues to be day by day? And so I think it reminds us, really, of the lived reality in Christ that we embody every day, and that really does excite me.
0: You did an interview with our intern this summer, Matthew Neugebauer, and it had this quote that also went into this a little bit that you gave to him. And so I wanted to read it and just get you to expand on it a little bit. So here's the quote of what he said you said. <laughs> Ultimately, East Coast Theology, so this initiative that you're involved in now, with which involves some book publishing and some other things, thinking about context, is about equipping the church for mission, training local church leaders to be able to express a Christian voice in ways that are understood that isn't threatening, that is enticing, that is winsome, that is engaged with the world as we see it. So what was interesting to me in that quote is where you're talking about threatening, are there threatening theological voices versus winsome theological voices?
1: (laughs) Does anybody spend any time in social media these (laughs) days?
0: (laughs) All right, all right. Why don't you elaborate on that a bit, though?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious that they're – you know, as much of the world has polarized, so has the church on different views. And we're not charitable oftentimes, particularly in social media and new media, in expressing those views. And we're happy to have fights online that we would never have had in person, but now they spill over into in person. And I just don't see how that helps share the good news of Jesus, actually. And it sometimes becomes a huge distraction. And I think, does look then to many people like a threatening place they don't want to occupy. And I think there are other and better ways of expressing what it is to believe and f- to follow Jesus Christ in the world today beyond those kinds of conflictual, aggressive often unnecessarily political, Jesus is political, but, you know, we get we get wrapped up in other agendas, I would say, apart from the mission to share the good news of Jesus with the world, which is our ultimate Great Commission. And so I think that there is a gospel that is, I think the gospel is winsome by nature. It draws people. Jesus was winsome. He drew people to himself. And yes, he was not afraid to issue judgment when that was called for, but they're his judgments. And they were his judgments usually on the people of power, and not on some of the things that we sometimes might choose to fight about. And, you know, I'm a theologian, I believe, in advocating for what you think is the the best way to see a particular doctrine or passage of scripture. I'm not against doing rigorous scholarship. In fact, that's a big character of what we do here, but it's ultimately to present the best picture of Jesus we can we can present is to the best of our understanding as human beings. And it seems to me that the picture it has often been presented as either first of all, judgmental or aggressive, and so on. Let me give you an example. We're on the campus of Acadia University. It's a Baptist university originally, reverted to the state in the '60s, like so many of the universities that had religious roots in our country. But down in the chapel, there's a Jesse window, and you know how a Jesse window traces the story, you know, of Jesus and so on. And this Jesse window traces the story from the beginning of Scripture, you know, and it goes through the history of Christianity, and then the final window is kind of the emergence of the university. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful window. But the first window there is not creation. The first window is Adam and Eve being chucked out of the garden with the serpent Mm. at their feet. And I think that's the version of the gospel that we often do present to people. We want to start by saying not that God created you and God loves you and God wants a relationship with you, but God somehow, I've even heard the word, hey, God hates you, God dislikes you, God is judging you, you are not acceptable to God. I don't think that's why Jesus Christ died for us. I don't think he died for us because he hates us, but because he loves us. And so there's the winsome gospel as far as I understand it. And so, yes, sometimes we have started, I think, on the wrong note and too far into scripture because we forget that there's a Genesis 1 before there's a Genesis Hmm. 2.
0: I, I don't know if this is crazy or not, but I wonder if there's a way to link this kind of thinking about local context and then thinking about a winsome expression of the gospel I think there's a kind of humility maybe that comes out of speaking from your local place and from your local theological tradition and saying maybe we don't have all the answers, but this is how we're living it out. This is how we see the Holy Spirit working. Am I imagining things here or what would you say to that kind of idea?
1: No, I think very much so. I think it's a recognition that the gospel is always embodied, and so again, the pressure of Modernism that separated out the embodied person from the thinking person, so separated out brain and body, and then privileged the brain over the lived reality of faith. And so sometimes Christianity has become reduced to thinking the right things about Jesus more than following Jesus, about having the right knowledge, and those sorts of things that can be sometimes quite esoteric when we have a history here of people of faith just living out the faith beautifully for generations and and that challenges us i think to say and so how do we now how do we now today then is it about us finding our space online to fight about issues or is it about okay here i am in this place i know my neighbor joe he's his family's been here for you know 60 years i'm going to go check on him today to see how he is I'm also intrigued, Bill, by the idea that Atlantic Canadians are known for their hospitality. They are. And and it sometimes is true and sometimes it isn't, but we were really interested in how how that bore out in the pandemic. I think Atlantic Can- Canadians handled the pandemic very differently, for example, from many other places in Canada and elsewhere. And we were really interested in why is that? You know, what What is there that's unique about here that a lot of people woke up to notice they were covering Nova Scotia's response to the pandemic around the world and and people started moving to Atlantic Canada in on mass yeah, and that's wow. still happening <laughs> it's changed our landscape because we've had such an influx of people from elsewhere in Canada and elsewhere in the world but particularly from places like Ontario and and out west and we want to uh, we want to welcome that but it's interesting question like why what is it what is the, what is it about the east coast that is so attractive And how do we make sure when we're doing theology that we're kind of taking stock of that? And then how do we express it potentially uniquely because of those unique features that characterize our culture here? And and what do we have to contribute to the rest of the country as we discover what that is?
0: So one of the things that I read about on your website from this new emphasis is that you're commissioning a series of books that are gonna dig into some different topics from an Atlantic Canada perspective so some of them are looking at history. For example, I think one of them is about the 1918 influenza pandemic. I think you've got one by the leadership and racial justice lecturer, Leonard Anderson, on the African Nova Scotia experience. So an awareness of history is, is also part of, I guess, understanding our context, right? I wondered if you could just reflect a little bit on how you see that motivating or helping you make choices about the kind of books that you want to commission or the scholarship that you want to commission.
1: Yeah, well one thing is interesting that we knew as a as a faculty that um we wanted to work on a project together. We've wanted to do that for a long time. We were waiting for sort of the right place and the right time and this just seemed to be a place where it could coalesce into a project that we actually could work on together from our respective disciplines. And I guess that's another unique thing about where we are now as an institution is it's very rare. It's a very rare thing for a faculty to bring all of their, you know, gifts and abilities and excellence and sometimes quirks and quirks, and still really hang together and want and have the same vision that we're really all about equipping people to lead the church, not as we wish it w- it was, but as it really is, and so. We're we're really committed to that as our first and foremost, and so we thought working together on a project would be something really good for us, and we just enjoy being with each other and working together, to be honest. So a vision emerged from that, but also we knew that that would mean encapsulating all of the voices that we're working hard to include uh, in our faculty. And so, yes, you mentioned Reverend Dr. Lena Anderson, who is a, a pastor in Halifax, but has incredible connections with the wider community there and as well as deep deep roots in the African Nova Scotian heritage and we're delighted that he's he's on our faculty. We have included Terry Leblanc who is one of the directors of Nates and has been a part of our faculty and welcome at our faculty table for a long time. He's consulted we consult him for our curriculum and sorts of those sorts of things for a long time. As, as someone from a from a Mi'kmaq background, right? Exactly. Yes, Mi'kmaq, Acadian background, and so we need all of those voices. At the same time, we have. People who have, who are more recent immigrants from the United States, from Scotland. And then you've got those of us who, you know, I lived 15 years in the UK, but my, my family goes back here as far back as you can get white people on the land. So we've got, we've got this interesting mix, but we do recognize that we live in this particular place and time. So we have to do our work together because we know we have to hear each other. And so every single thing that we write isn't going to encapsulate all of that, we can't do that. But if we do a work together, then we can incorporate all of those voices. And as we do that, we're learning from each other. So as we've written these chapters, we actually sit together as a faculty on Mondays and present them to each other and we talk about them and what did I miss in mine and what are you saying here that's unique? And we're having fun actually going through that exercise. So it's teaching us as we go about each other, and it's teaching us about the place where we're living together now. And we hope that what we're learning from that will spill over and capture the imagination of others who will read that and hopefully enjoy it and learn something.
0: Do you have a plan of when this book would come out? Or is it more than one book?
1: Yeah, we're planning a series. We're hoping we'll be able to have one every two okay. years. Um, and so the one that we're working on now relates to the church and public health, because we wanted to tackle first this idea of how do we hold our churches together when there's division and pandemic? How do we understand ourselves a little better in light of what's gone on with the pandemic and so on. And we've had the privilege of working with Dr. Robert Strang, who is the Nova Scotia public health officer. You know, every province had their guru in the pandemic, and Dr. Strang is our guru in Nova Scotia. And he's also a believer and was very interested, actually, in how the church can move beyond its walls to, to address issues of public health. And so we thought, well, this is a perfect topic for us to chew on as our first kind of East Coast theology uh, volume. So we've met with him and and he's writing the forward and an afterward to frame it for us. Then we're planning a East Coast summer school, East Coast theology summer school, where we'll have our Simpson lectures in the evenings with Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove talking about the common good, Christianity and the common good. Near the end of that week, we will have our East Coast theology book launch. And so we'll have papers and Discussion, and we will invite others who might have a whole different take to kind of give us their voice and see where we then can be refined for the next volume. And we'll have to make a decision about what the topic for the next volume will be. But yeah, we're 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 committed to several volumes, so this will be an ongoing project from ADC and the faculty here, as well as just the way that we engage our teaching as a result of being in this place. And two thirds of our students are online, so it's not necessarily even just the physical presence here it's just what makes this community what it is and taking that seriously so there's the books there's the summer school there's the the teaching and we're discovering as we go it's it's it is fun it sounds fun and eventually there will be swag <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what i'm asked about right. more than anything where when are we going to get our east coast theology sweatshirt so i say well give me time
0: well, I can see that it's a project that you're excited about. It, like, it sounds very relevant. I can see, like, not everyone is a theology nerd, but I can see that there would be people that would think about the issues that are being raised and how re- they're very relevant, not just to people in, in your geographical region, but to, to all Canadians to be thinking about that and, and how, you know, what does being a Christian have to do with how we respond to public health situations and that sort of thing. So kudos. That's I think that sounds really exciting. My other question for you that I wanted to ask about was about location in terms of your connections to Halifax. So Acadia is in Wolfville, which is, I think, like an hour away or so from Halifax, right? One of the things I saw on your, which is the the, the sort of the big city in your region, I suppose, if I'm as a non-Atlantic uh, person looking at maps.
1: It is the largest city in the region, yes, and the, one of the fastest growing cities in Canada.
0: Obviously, you're building links or taking advantage of connections between where you are in Wolfville and in Halifax. And so I'm just wondering how that's going. I guess one of the things that I'm thinking about just before you answer, one of the things I'm thinking about is, is there a difference of being a seminary in a small town versus being a seminary in a really big city? We kind of touched on that a little bit earlier where you talked about being in London. And so I'm gonna half answer your question and then hope you go further. In a really big city, maybe you don't have to care about your geographical context as much. And if you're in a smaller place, maybe you do. I don't know. I'm wondering about that. I was reading a news item recently about Eston College. Eston College is a Pentecostal school in Saskatchewan, and they just announced that they're going to be relocating from Eston, which is a small town, about four hours away to Regina, which is a bigger city. It got me thinking about sort of the challenges, maybe, of being a seminary in a smaller municipality. And then being context sensitive? And I guess where I'm going is those connections with a big city nearby, what comes of those and how do you build those and what are they good for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it's easy these days, especially post pandemic when so many people, we were, we've were we always been on, always been online, we've been online offering online, complete online degrees for a long time. So that's not new to us, but for some people, the last couple of years have been revolutionary in terms of changing the way they approach the world. And so that might have an influence, I guess, because we've been pretty connected. We've never felt, I don't think we've ever felt isolated here. I mean, this is not, it's rural, but it's not isolated. It's a pretty quick run to the city and you don't have to sit in traffic. So there are some people who will try to get from one part of the city to another part of the city in a larger place. And it would take just as long as it takes us to get from from the Annapolis Valley to Halifax, so and, and, and you're sailing the whole way. So there's another promo for living in Atlantic Canada, having sat many hours in traffic in London, that's for sure. I think there is a difference, Bill. When you're in the city, I think there is a sense that you don't, have to care or there's such a diversity that's just inherent there that you don't have to be as intentional maybe. And then sometimes you're not intentional and then it doesn't, you know, the things that you should be paying attention to, you don't. It's harder sometimes, I would say, to hear the voice of God in the city. Mm -hmm. I used to have an exercise for my students where I would say, I want you to take the tube train into the center of London and I don't want you to speak to anyone. I want you to go by yourself and I want you to look and watch and listen for God's presence at work, and for some, it was a really profound experience where they'd never really taken the time to be quiet in such a public noisy space to see God at work and to hear God at work everywhere. And so I think it's needful everywhere, but in a place like this, it's almost obvious, I guess, that you need to pay attention to the fact that you're rural. Our university is really tied in with the agricultural industry, particularly in terms of grape growing and and some of the other local industries with what it means to be a, a coastal community. And most of our communities here are not very far from the sea. So these things are more obvious to us perhaps. I found moving away from the city, interestingly, moving away from the city, This I've almost always lived in cities, but a city the size of London, seasons meant almost nothing to me. And time went so fast. And I find here, the seasons matter because we're in a rural agricultural area. I know when it's spring because... You know, the crops are being planted. I know how far we are into the summer by the height of the corn in the fields as I'm driving past. And I find that life has gone far more slowly than it used to. And for me, that's a gift. That's a good Um, thing, yeah. (laughs) It is a really good thing. At the same time, people need not be deceived. We are not disconnected from the rest of the world. We are very well connected, not only with Halifax, because it's so easy to get there, but we have a really close relationship with our churches across the region with people outside of the region. We've had very close contacts and great supports from Toronto, for example. I was just out with the Western Baptists in Banff and Calgary. We're immensely well connected and that gives us the opportunity then to compare and contrast what it is to live here with what it is to live elsewhere. When I first came back from the UK, it was interesting because I had opportunity to speak in a number of different venues right across the country, coast to coast. And that was a reacquaintance for me to my own country that I'd been away from for so long and really gave me fresh eyes for how different our regions are and what the richness that each region brings to the whole. That can be a source of conflict or of arrogance or of feeling that you're inadequate. That's often been the case in the East Coast. Or it can be a great source of richness if we are able to listen to one another and so on. So I, I remain ever grateful for that experience and have had the chance to go across in different speaking venues a couple of times since. I find it an amazingly rich experience. So I guess you know, connections with Halifax are all the time. Yeah. I mean, several of our faculty live in Halifax. Many of our students live in Halifax, but two thirds of our students are online. So they're scattered across the country and around the world. But we still think that how we teach and how we live here matters. But it is important for us to be increasingly connected with the city because it is one of the fastest-growing cities in Canada, and we believe God is at work in that. And we need to be connected with that so that we can continue to be inspired with what God is doing in our region.
0: It sounds uh, pretty biblical to me. I think Paul had something to say about parts of the body or whatever. I think the whole perspective, it sounds very human to me, to say, let's be aware of our context and of our own specific history and our own theological tradition and not pretend to be super beings that know everything and are everywhere all the time. I just commend you for that. I think it's, I think it's great. We'll see. I guess we'll have to have some more seminary leaders on this podcast to see if they think the same, but we can all hopefully learn and benefit from each other's wisdom on that. Thank you for uh, taking the time to meet with me. This has been really stimulating, and I hope that our listeners will go away with a lot of food for thought. Do you have any last comments that you'd want to throw in for them as they're thinking about, I don't know, maybe thinking about going to seminary or uh, advancing some, taking some theological training?
1: Yeah. Of course, the invitation at Acadia Divinity College is always open, and you can do any degree, any course from anywhere in the world. But it's live, because we believe in a relationship, so you're not going to be off on your own. Every course is connected, even though we're, we're using hybrid forms. So that's an open invitation if you want to see what it's like to study from an East Coast perspective, but one where we encourage, and this is what I would encourage everyone to do who is a believer. And you might get sometimes discouraged with where the, the state of the church is going, and where is Christianity going in Canada, and oh, it's all in decline. That may well be true, but maybe that's because we hitched our cart to the wrong horse for a long, long time, and Jesus is alive and well in this land. He wants to be known, and we just have to keep our eyes and ears open. So whether you live in the country or the city or somewhere in between, whether you're on farmland or in the middle of the city, Jesus is walking around, and just let's keep our eyes and ears open, ready to see Him at work and eager to invite others to say, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did.
0: Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.